Good morning, Gateway Bible Church. Uh, I am very excited, very uh, happy to be able to share with you the Word of God this morning. I want to thank Pastor Rod for the invitation, and we'll get right to it. Um, I ask you to please pray with me. Father, we thank you uh, just this morning for, again, another opportunity you give us to be gathered around your Word. Father, I pray that you would help me to be able to transmit your Word clearly, and Father, may your word uh, bless our hearts this morning. Bless my brothers and sisters uh, from Gateway. Father, you know everyone's need. Uh, please, Father, apply your word to our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, um, we are in Galatians chapter 3, verse 10 through 29. I ask that you would uh, turn your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3, verse 10 through 29. Uh, this morning, we're going to be reading the first four verses, and we will start, uh, it says like this. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law, and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. Um, you know, in our society today, we find that everything is governed governed by a merit system. What is, it, what is What are we talking about? Well, in your job, in your work, you know, the promotion that you get, uh, the pay that you get, uh, is based upon the work that you put in, right? Um, the, uh, the kind of cable you have, or the internet that you have, you know, the speed, whatever, that is based on what? On how much you pay. Um, we see that also in our uh, world religions. You know, there's this merit system, and sadly, most of the, the religions of the world, all, if not say all of religions of the world, are based on a merit system. Uh, Muslim, Mormon, Buddhist, uh, uh, Buddhist Hindus, it's a salvation that is based on how much work a human puts in, right? Uh, sadly, this has also affected our relationship, relationships. Um, it's sad to hear about contracts that are um, made before a marriage where basically what it's saying is, as long as I'm satisfied by you, then this marriage is going to work. And the moment that we don't, you know, feel satisfied by it, then we can part our ways. And it's based on how much work you put in. And we see it everywhere. Uh, sadly, our society today, everywhere, everything is based on a merit system. And what we see here in Galatians is that Paul is going to tackle this, this view of, of, of this merit system view in our view in our theology of God. Now to give you a little context, Galatians 
is probably the first, the earliest of Paul's letters. He wrote it to a group of churches in Galatia. Galatia is this region where is now modern-day Turkey. And he wrote this letter to them to correct them, to, to try to, to get them to go back on the path of the true gospel. And the reason for this is because during this time, there's a group of people that have uh, come into the church that had been driving Christians away from the true gospel of God. They were adding works as a, as a necessary requirement for salvation. And these were called Judaizers. And the purpose that, the, that Paul writes this letter is one, to correct, but also to defend his authority and his apostleship. That's what we see in the first chapters. He, he defends his calling. He defends his authority. And, and now he is going to defend the gospel by showing us, by explaining to us that salvation, justification, is by faith alone, without works. Now, our, our purpose this morning is, is four things. Uh, number one, I hope that we are encouraged. I hope that we are encouraged as we are reminded of the eternal spiritual rest we find in the self-sufficient work of Christ. Number two, uh, I, I wish that we will be exhorted to hold fast to the true gospel. And we're going to see later on that the true gospel must include repentance of sins. Repentance of sins. It's necessary. And it's so sad to see nowadays um, people, they could be celebrities, they could be uh, churches that are proclaiming a relationship with God without repentance. And many people are led astray, uh, blind, as to their fate because they haven't realized that in order for there to be forgiveness of sins, there must be repentance. Number three, I hope that we, uh, are, after this, are, are motivated to praise God, uh, praise Him for His faithfulness in keeping His promise throughout all those years, all these years, and also to praise God for the gift of His promise inheritance which we have through Jesus Christ. Now, as we go back to our first four verses that we have read, we find that Paul's point here is that the works of the law cannot deliver the promise. They can't deliver. And what we see here in the first, uh, first few verses, uh, for example, in verse 11, it says, it is evident that no one is justified before God, and two, the righteous shall live by faith. What he's saying is, the works of the law cannot justify a person. They cannot save him. And also, you cannot live by them. You cannot be justified and you cannot live by them. It's talking about salvation. It's talking about sanctification. Now, it's interesting in that these, four, these first four, four uh, verses, Paul quotes four different uh, passages from the Old Testament uh, the first one is, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. That's from Deuteronomy 
27-26, saying everyone who lives or tries to live by keeping the works of the law is cursed, is cursed. Um, the third one, uh, well, we saw well, we one of them, says the righteous shall live by faith. And then verse 12 says, the one who does them shall live by them. Uh, the first, the before one was Habakkuk 2.4, and the one who does them shall live by them, is a reference to Leviticus 18.5. Uh, says, the one who does them shall live by them. See, it's, it's possible. It's possible to live by the works of the law. Many people do it all the time. There are people now who are, try, who are trying to live lives that are good, that are moral, in hopes of earning favor either through, with God or with men. It's possible to live that way. But it's not an ultimately satisfying way to live. It's very burdensome. That's why I say the righteous shall live by faith, but the one who lives by the curse of, by the works of the law is under a curse. The fourth reference we find in, in 13, it says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is, who is hanged on a tree. And we know that that was ultimately fulfilled in the crucifixion, crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Now, it's, it's really amazing to see that that which the law had put under a curse, we, the, the good news is we are rescued by it because Christ became the curse for us. And when we read that back, it says, we find that the verse that says, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law. The law ultimately condemned Jesus Christ by this passage. The law condemned Jesus Christ when God placed upon him all the sins of the world. And because of that, he was hanging on a tree, he was killed. Um, so we see here, that the, the works of the law cannot deliver the promise. Now the question is, what is this promise that we're talking about? Well, this promise that we're talking about, uh, Paul explains in verses, the verses before verse 10. It talks about the promise that God gave Abraham in Genesis 22. Remember when, when Abraham and Isaac, his one and only son, God asked Abraham to give up his only son. And Abraham believed the word of God when he had said that he would, his, seed, his seed would be as the grains of sand. And the Bible says that he believed God and despite what his heart was, what his faith was telling him and what his desire was telling him to save his son, he, he was obedient to God. And right at the moment when he was about to sacrifice his son, God stopped him. When he stopped him, and he provided for the sacrifice, God gave him this promise. And we find here that this promise in Genesis chapter 22 is that God says, In you, in your seed, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And he says, And to your seed I will give, deliver the gates of your enemies. The promise was ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ. 
And what we see here is that the beauty of it is that Christ became the curse for us to redeem us. To redeem us. What does redemption mean? Well, redemption is, the definition is that Christ took upon himself the debt and paid for it himself on our behalf. He paid the price to acquire us for himself. So we conclude that the, the works of the law cannot deliver the promise. They cannot, we, we cannot be justified by it. We cannot live by it, but Christ can. That's what we see in verse 14. It says, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come. See, the, the, the blessing of Abraham is the promise. And what, what the law cannot deliver, Christ is able to deliver it. How do we obtain it? it says, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Through faith. Remember, the, the works of the law cannot justify us. The works of the law um, cannot empower us to live. But the Holy Spirit can. You see, when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, the Holy Spirit does a miracle in us by, by make, creating in us a new creature, making us uh, a new creation, making us children of God. Not only that, but the Holy Spirit is necessary for our day-to-day -day living, for our sanctification. And it's important here that the promise does include the promise of the Spirit. So, what is uh, the second reason why justification is by faith alone is because, well, we find in verse 15 through 18, it says like this, To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now, the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God, so as to make the promise void. For if their inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. The second point that Paul points out here is that by definition, a promise cannot be earned. A promise cannot be earned. He starts out by giving a human example. It says, um, a promise that is man-made, you know, a uh, promise made to someone else. It says, well, back in the day, it was much more loyal than it is now. But... If I promise something, whatever it is, whenever that I have to deliver that, I have to deliver exactly what I said I would deliver, right? No additions, no change, no modification, exactly how it is because it's a promise. I'm not going to promise three oranges and give them five apples, right? That's what a promise is. And so what, what Paul is saying here is that a promise 
is given or is delivered as is. There's no changes, there's no modifications. And so it goes and now it talks about the promise that God gave in Genesis 22, 17 through 18. And we will look at that uh, really quickly. Um, Genesis chapter 22, verse 17 and 18. So it says, For surely I will bless you and multiply your descendancy as the stars in heaven and as the grain of sand. And I will give your descendants the gates of your enemies, and in your seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you obeyed my voice. So this is the promise that was given to, to Abraham. And remember that the promise happened before the law. That's why it says 430 years later. It says this is what I mean, the law which came 430 years later, does not annul, it doesn't uh, make obsolete a covenant or a promise previously ratified by God. So what's it saying? It's saying 430 years ago, God made this promise to Abraham. 400 years, 33 years later, uh, God gave the law. But the law that was given to Moses does not annul the promise that God gave Abraham. It doesn't change it. It doesn't uh, modify it. Because the promise is a promise. It says, For if the inheritance, if their inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. So what we, see, what we see here is that by definition, a promise cannot be earned, right? Cannot be earned. Now, the law given to Moses does not change or delete the promise God gave Abraham in Christ. If the inheritance was received by the works of the law, it wouldn't be a promise anymore. So then, Paul anticipates the reader's next question. So the question is, if the promised blessing cannot be earned, then what good is the law? If the promised blessing cannot be earned, then what good is the law? Before we answer that question, we must examine what is the nature of the law. And we find that in verses 19 through 20. It says, why then the law? You know, Paul is, is anticipating the question that we have. It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. The first thing we see here is that the, the nature of the law is that it's temporary. You know, it's not forever. Um, it says here, the law was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come. Who's this offspring? We saw in the previous verses, this offspring is Jesus Christ, right? He is the one 
ultimately in whom uh, the promise of his enemies and the promise of blessing to all nations is fulfilled. So he's the promise. And it says, until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. You see, the promise given to Abraham is ultimately to Jesus Christ. And it says, and it was put in place through angels by an, an intermediary. What's he talking about? The Moses. See, God gave the law through Moses to the people. Moses acts as the intermediary. But look at the promise that God gave Abraham. It was a promise directly from God to Abraham. There's no intermediary. So the inferior nature of the law is that it's temporary and it also includes an intermediary, which the promise doesn't. The promise is face-to-face, one-on-one. So then Paul again anticipates the next question. He says, is the law then contrary to the promise of God? Is the law going against the promise that God gave Abraham? The answer is no. If earning your salvation was possible by keeping the law, then we could say the law is against the promise. So what is the purpose of the law? And that's what we find here in verse 21 to 29 is the purpose of the law. It says, is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned unto the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now, but now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. So, to finish this section, Paul is going to explain what the purpose of the law is. If the promise that God gave Abraham is still, let's say, uh, um, I'm thinking about the word in Spanish, I lost it in English. If it's still going on, if the promise is still uh, going on, then what good is the law? And he explains the purpose of it. He says, the purpose of the law is first to imprison everything under sin. Says, um, now before faith came, verse 23, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned. We were imprisoned. Now, verse 22, but the scripture imprisoned everything under sin. We're all shackled, bounded by the curse of the law. You remember what Romans says, it says, for the wages of sin is death. 
not only the the curse is is death, but the curse is we we don't have the power to live. We don't have we can't be justified by it. Every person that lives under the curse of the law cannot possibly be justified and cannot possibly have the power to live godly lives. That's the curse. And so we are all under in the same boat, per se, the same situation. Everyone is imprisoned under uh, sin. And this is what the law uh, does. What does it also do? It says here in um, verse 24, So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. What's it talking about? In, in these times, it was very common for a master to educate his son through a guardian. And Paul is, is evoking this illustration that is very widely known to his readers. So what would the master do? The master, whether he would be a carpenter, whether he would be a blacksmith, whatever it was he, he, he did, um, he would pass on all that he knew about this through a slave, so through a guardian. His purpose was to, to teach, um, to discipline, to correct, to prepare him to take on this, this family business. And the interesting thing is the guardian, this, this slave, um, had total authority over him. And once this, the son reached where the point where he was already now able to take on, then and only then was the inheritance uh, by right his. So, so what Paul is saying here is that the law served as our guardian, served as our teacher to teach us what? To teach us about our sin. It says, the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For when Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. See, the, the illustration is here is clear. The son who had completed his training now had the total authority and right to be viewed, to be considered as the son of his father. And here it says, we are made sons of God through faith. Not by works, not because we are in it, but through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. This again refers to sanctification. It, it uh, motivates us. It, it, it uh, exhorts us that Christ, the character of Christ, be revealed in us. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. You see, the Jews, the Jewish people, 
prided themselves in being the sons of Abraham and being their offspring. And they didn't, they didn't think that uh, a Gentile could be considered uh, offspring of Abraham through faith. And this is what the Bible is saying is if we are Christ and we are his offspring, and remember this, the promise that God gave Abraham, which was ultimately given, fulfilled in Christ, now this promise becomes our promise because we are heirs. Heirs, as, as the gospel says, co-heirs with Christ. So the purpose of the law is to take us to Christ by faith, to make us sons of God and heirs with Christ of the promise. So as we conclude, just let me remind you of what we hope that the scriptures can do for our hearts this morning. Number one, uh, may we be encouraged. May we be encouraged as we are reminded of the eternal spiritual rest we find for our souls as we look upon the self-sufficiency of Christ. Uh, second, may we be exhorted to hold fast to the gospel. Let's remember that for there to be salvation, there must and there needs to be a repentance of sin. Uh, I can't stress enough. This uh, Last week, I was talking to a young lady. And this young lady has a... Uh, relationship with God and she said I pray to him every day I thank him for my job I thank him for the health he's given me but this person is not living a life that says she's a child of God far from it she's rebellious um, living a life of sin and so the question is where was repentance in her life? Oh, but my experience of God is not what the church says. It's my own experience. And sadly, there's so many people like that who believe that their experience of God is enough to be labeled, to be called children of God. And that's not what the Bible says. The Bible teaches, the Bible shows us that for a person to be justified, there must be first an acknowledgement of our sin, a holy guilt of our sin that leads us to repentance, to forsaking our life, our past life. And sadly, there are people that are going to eternity without realizing that. Not only that, but we praise God for His faithfulness in keeping His promise. His promise that He made 430 years ago is a promise that is still uh, true today. Anyone that calls upon the name of Jesus Christ shall be saved. We praise God for the gifts of inheritance through Jesus Christ. How wonderful it is that our inheritance is not something that... Uh, we can earn on our own, but it's the inheritance that was promised through Christ that now also becomes our promise. And so may our hearts be encouraged this morning 
with uh, this passage from the Bible. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. Father, we pray that you help us to uh, be encouraged in our hearts, Lord, that we may trust your word. In Jesus' name, amen.